podcast for December 10th, 2009. I'm going to go around the table and introduce the guys. We have the recently independent Mr. Jeff Simpson. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you very much, Hunter. Uh, Chuck Monster from VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? Not much. Glad to be here. Happy holidays. Excellent. And Dr. Dave Schwartz from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hey there. And my name is Hunter Hilligus, and you can find me at RateVegas.com. We are a few days out from the official opening of City Center's Aria. Some parts of the complex have already opened up. Before we get into some of that stuff, though, a couple of announcements. Um, first off the top are the 2009 trippies over at uh, chucksvegastripping.com. This, uh, this show actually has been nominated again for one of the awards, so I will give a little golf clap to my, uh, to my co-host here. And um, encourage any listeners that are so inclined to uh, to go vote at VegasTripping.com. I think there's a link on the homepage. Is that right, Chuck? Yes, sir, there is. Okay, so it should be easy to find. Um, there's a whole bunch of categories you can vote in all around, all about the uh, casino industry and also some of the stuff like websites and blogs and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, go ahead and vote. And thanks to all of those all of you guys out there that nominated us. thats uh, It's very cool. There's a lot of good uh, competition in there. I think no matter what happens, uh, we'll, we'll be happy. I think the 500s kind of have this category locked up, but uh, that's okay. They're really nice people, no matter what other, no matter what Chuck says about them. Oh! <laughs> uh, couldn't resist. Um, okay, so the other thing is back to the topic of ARIA and City Center. Um, next week, uh, Chuck and I are going to be doing some extensive coverage of the opening events. And uh, as some of you may remember, last year we did a special website for Encore. Um, that was EncoreOpening.com. We are doing that again for ARIA over at AriaOpening.com. And um, that is live as of uh, today. And um, it will aggregate our Twitter stuff and some photos, videos. But the big difference is that now we are taking photo submissions from everyone. So if you were going to be at the opening and you want to submit a photo, it's real simple. You just send it to a special email address, and the instructions are on the website. But that way, uh, hopefully, we are hoping we're going to get a ton of great content from all around the property, stuff that uh, angles that maybe uh, we wouldn't get on our own. And um, I am going to do a little contest, and the um, the best submitted photo, and I guess Chuck and I are going to decide what the best is. It's we get to decide. Uh, the best submitted photo, the person that submits it will win an iPod Touch. So um, doing that after after the event. So hopefully that's a little bit of a reason to uh, to share your photos with the world. Plus you get to be famous. You get to be on our website. So, any, did I miss anything, Chuck? I think you got it covered, yeah. Is there okay. a uh, cop- copy of uh, Vegas Made thrown in there, too? Uh, if you live in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, of course, definitely a copy of Vegas Made will be included. Um, all rights reserved, uh, deal void, or prohibited by law. Um, <laughs> So let's get right into it. And uh, since the last time we spoke, I've actually been uh, a guest at City Center. I stayed at Vidara for um, one night last week, week weekend, 
Um, I did another tour of Aria, and I'm happy to talk about both those things. But first, I want to start with Dr. Dave, because I know that you toured Aria today, uh, and maybe other parts of City Center, I'm not, I'm not sure. So I'm curious if you will share your general impressions, what you thought. I did. I got a pretty focused tour of Aria, then I had a more general ramble through the crystals, totally un, totally unguided through the crystals and uh, Manvin Oriental, where I was kind of finding my way around the, the street there. But let me talk a little bit about what I found from Aria. First of all, I think it's going to feel totally different once it's done and people are actually in there. There was a ton of construction going on, and they were testing the alarm system. So it really wasn't the kind of ambience that you're going to have when it's filled with people. But I think the one thing that strikes me about all of City Center is the way that you – let me kind of back up. Usually – let me back up even more. <laughs> probably the, the, the property that you want to compare anything to in the Strip is probably Wincore, um, and hopefully I don't get a cease and desist for that. Uh, Chuck. But so, you know, you would say that's a property to beat. What Steve Wynn does better than anyone else that I've seen is to take the guest and wrap them in this bubble of service and comfort and take them out of the world. And that's really been the idea of casinos going back to Caesar's Palace and Jay Sarno, which is take them out of the surrounding world, put them in this, in this fantasy, which may or may not be themed, and kind of surround them. So, so, so you drop your car off, you never see a, a car again until you leave. Um, City Center doesn't do that. City Center, from a lot of different places inside Aria, especially that second story promenade overlooking the main lobby there, you can see not only the outside of City Center, but all the way out to West Vegas and the Spring Mountains, which is really striking. And you can actually see the I-15 from inside. Um, to me, that's going to give the place a much different feel than everything else in the Strip. You know, I think that's one thing. Did you guys notice that as you were walking through? Definitely. I think up on that on that second level, as you're going past the buffet there, maybe going towards the spa or, um, you know, sort of surrounding the pool, uh, it it definitely brings in the outside, and, and not in the way that Encore does, where Encore it brings in the outside, but it brings in their outside, right? It brings in yeah. their highly manicured pool and lawn. This brings in everything. You see... The the panorama towers across the freeway, you see Vidara. I mean, you definitely bring it in like you don't have your right in any other property. It's definitely a unique feeling. Yeah, so I think that's something that's definitely different. Another thing, another kind of big difference that I know. Oh, Chuck, were you going to say something? Uh, I haven't. I have not been inside yet. So. Oh, okay. Um, another thing that I noticed that I think we can all comment on, is I can see evidence in this how strip casinos are becoming more female-centric. Um, it's, you know, women are being more involved in making travel decisions, and I think probably women make a majority of the travel decisions. It's really interesting that the way casinos have evolved, especially looking at the Wincore ones and um, now City Center, they seem to be playing up a lot of elements that women will like. You know, uh, this kind of occurred to me as, you know, you go past the Crystals with all that high-end shopping, and then you see Ava Longoria Parker's restaurant, Beso, mm -hmm. which, you know, since – I know her as being on Desperate Housewives, which probably skews more to the female demographic. You know, it's not like this is the Dan Marino Steakhouse <laughs> Hooters kind of thing. You know, this is kind of the exact opposite of that. So you could see they're making a conscious effort to say, hey, this is the, you know, this is the demographic out there that's making the travel decisions. We want to give them a reason to come here. You know, I, think that's, yeah. I, I think that's true. The one thing, though, 
and I think that's that's very smart. And I, I've heard other operators mention that concept as well. But the thing that this one thing surrounding that that makes me wonder is, uh, you know, women often, and I guess men sometimes, but mostly women, some are often wearing high-heeled shoes when they're out on vacation, dressing up nice to go to a nice dinner or see a show. I was struck by not just Aria, but including Aria, but all of City Center, how much hard flooring there is, just uh, lack of carpet. And there's carpet in the casino, but um, a lot of the public spaces, even at Aria, are marble or other granite hard floor. And I'm just wondering, is that going to be you know, really hard on people's feet? Are they going to start regretting that decision to some degree? It might be. I mean, there is a lot, you know, yeah, there is a lot of hard surfaces there. And it's so. beautiful looking, right? Yeah. But it, but it uh, isn't, isn't totally easy on the feet. Yeah. You know, Hunter, I just, uh, well, let me interject on that point. Uh, I, I think we both just got our uh, ARIA opening itinerary from the PR folks with the invitation and all that jazz. And then there was one uh, piece of information in there about exactly what you're saying. They mentioned that you should yeah. bring comfortable shoes. Right. You know, you're going to be walking around, and there's going to be a lot of stuff to look at and see and bring comfortable shoes. I never, ever would have thought that they would make that kind of distinction. So possibly they're aware, uh, somebody's aware at least, that all this clacking around, you know, is, is going to do a little, little damage on your knees and your ankles. Yeah. I mean, the other issue is sound, right? I mean, the acoustics in some of these rooms, when you've got click, 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 it may not be totally awesome. We'll just we'll have to see. But that was just one of those things that struck me as a question mark, as whether it was intentional, whether it's a mistake, whether it just whether it doesn't matter, whether it's a non-issue. It'll be interesting to see if it turns out to be a problem. Yeah, I think so. I think overall, it's going to have definitely a much different feel from anything else. And I can kind of I can see what Jim Murren is talking about with the whole, you know, what he's talking about with the whole Manhattan idea. I think possibly he could have articulated it differently. That would that might resonate more with people. Yeah. Um, I can see that definitely he is has these ideas and they're good ideas. And you really get a feel for you know for me it was standing on I think the side of the either crystals or Marin. I think the crystals there looking across at the Veer Towers, it's like, wow, this really looks like it could be in Manhattan. Right. You know, uh, another thing is the the Big Edge installation piece there with all the canoes, I think actually isn't, it is at the Lincoln Center, another one of these, something that looks a lot. Oh, really? I just Googled, Googled the artist, um, what is it, Elaine Rubens? Yeah. I think, and I pulled, the first thing I pulled up, one of the first things I pulled up was an image of a canoe sculpture that's at Lincoln Center. So it's like, hmm, yeah, that does look like the kind of thing you'd see there because it, is there. Yeah. So, you know, I think those kinds of things really, you know, really kind of drives it home that this isn't the tr- traditional Vegas um, casino. Now, one of the one of the issues that people have is that there's a lot of people who really like traditional Vegas. Right. You know, there's a lot of people who like to walk down the strip with uh, yard-long margaritas or the Eiffel Tower filled with beer or whatever, you know. <laughs> so you've got to – you don't want to alienate those folks. But at the same time, you know, you've, there's only so many of them, and you've got to grow the market somehow or you're not going to go anywhere. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's possible that the Las Vegas of 10 years for, of, from now looks more like the Las Vegas that Jim Murren imagines, imagines in his head. The question is, though, how does it get from here to there? And is city center enough? If it isn't, are they going to suffer because of, that, of those choices? Is it going to be a rough 
it going to be a rough transition, or is it going to be a smooth and easy path? I mean, it's it's hard to say. Yeah. You know, I, I I have not been inside um, uh, Aria and the other buildings yet. But what you know, I'm one thing that strikes me is um, is the interview that Bobby Baldwin did for for uh, Steve Fries, and sort of you know, if you overlay that next to the things that Murren has had to say to to Ralston, to Fries. Um, I talked to Murren a couple weeks ago for uh, an extended interview. And then, you know, and when you look, it seems to me that, you know, Bobby Baldwin in his interview, he said, you know, I looked, I looked all over for different kinds of, uh, you know, sort of special interesting effects. And if it had been done anywhere else, I wasn't interested. Um, I'm not sure how that squares with what, what Murren was sort of saying about his ideal aesthetic. But, um, you know, I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see if sort of these different individual touches in the in Crystals, in Aria, in Vidara, and Veer, and Mandarin, um, if all of those are enough to sort of capture the imagination of the kind of people they want. Um, you know, Murren seems to have sort of a bigger idea uh, about an overall sensibility and urban aesthetic or something like that. And, you know, I, I continue to think that we just aren't going to know until we, you know, until we look at it, you know, three months out, a year out, years out. But I do, what I remember, um, it was maybe a week and a half after 9-11 and uh, the old World Gaming Congress that um, was the, the trade show before G2E took a, took over, um, I, I went and saw a speech that Wynn gave where he talked about the difference between the visionaries. And by visionaries, I think Wynn meant uh, Jay Sarno and Steve Wynn. Um, <laughs> and uh, he talked about how they, you know, sort of transformed the strip. And then there were the accountants. And he talked about the vis visionaries versus the accountants. And I think it's fair to say that Wynn probably considers Jim Murren an accountant. Um, he talked about how, you know, they try and copy some of the elements that are, you know, that are in the popular new um, winning casinos, but that they really never get the idea of what Las Vegas represents and the formula for, you know, improving it. And... I think we're setting up with another one of these deals. Now, maybe, you know, the Baldwin influence is a wild card because he brings in so much experience with Wynn. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable in saying, you know, this is going to be a true test of that. But, um, you know, certainly Murren's comments, you know, about not having, you know, not having been inside Encore, not having been inside Palazzo, that he himself wouldn't have visited the Bellagio Spa Tower. If he hadn't um, had to do that, as because it's his company, you know, those are the kind of things that sort of made me uncomfortable. Um, you know, I, I'm not a, a, a shareholder, but you know, it just seems like if you really truly love the business, um, like almost every person who follows your guys' blogs, I mean, I would be shocked if any of the you know constant contributors to your blogs, much less you guys, hadn't been to see those properties pretty darn close to opening. And, 
and it was just shocking, a shocking admission to me um, that he said that. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of grist that we're going to be chewing over over the next year, next two years, to see how Murren's, uh, you know, outlook has affected the success of the property. I couldn't agree with you more. I was shocked when he made those comments that he didn't visit those properties. And to equate those to the opening of the Spa Tower is silly. The Spa Tower is 900 rooms and one restaurant. Uh, not the same thing as Encore or certainly Palazzo, which are, uh, you know, basically freestanding resorts that are connected to their brethren. I mean, it it, w- it seems very strange to me that he wouldn't want to study the best people in the business. And I'm I'm not you know not even saying that that those other companies are executing above MGM's level, but they're they're at least all neck and neck for that high end of the market, and to not. To not be curious and want to check it out is, I think, strange. Personally, I just I find it hard to relate to. I, it made me wonder how many times he's even been in some of his own properties. I mean, he's probably I'm sure he's been to Circus Circus at least once, but maybe not. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it seems bizarre. Yeah, if you're a shareholder, you know, I mean, they're paying him a lot of money, and he's not getting paid for a 40-hour work week. So you would expect him to spend some time scouting the competition. And, you know, that, I mean, that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to have the strategic vision and everything. And I don't see how you get that being in a vacuum. Even with limited, even with limited vision, Steve Wynn goes out and checks places out. George Maloof is constantly in other places. Michael Gaughan regularly in other places. Um, And, you know, one of the things, now now one thing that those guys have in common they're, they're gamblers, first of all, um, and, uh, you know, Wid not so much, but, I mean, anymore, he certainly used to be, but Maloof and Michael Gondu, and, and you know, it really, it's not even beneath the surface, it's on the surface with Murren. He doesn't really like gambling. He doesn't really like the gambling part of the business. I think he likes the um, amount of cash that um, the business generates, and he certainly, but he's much more, it, it seems like he he really, really wants to create a business that is less and less about gambling. Certainly, that was the idea with City Center, and, you know, the the old timers from the business, you know, the, in, in their businesses, certainly they are happy for all the other revenue, but they'll all tell you that in the gambling portion of the business, um the money drops from the top line to the bottom line more freely than in any other sec- sector of the business. Now that may not be true in the the modern nightclub where you know there's extraordinary uh, profit margins on you know bottle service, but by and large, gambling is incredibly profitable. Um, and if you can actually get people to treat your casino like it's the best place to wager in town, which Wynn has been remarkably successful at doing here and in Macau, um, there's incredible profits to be had. It's almost like Murren just doesn't get those people. He doesn't understand the gambler. That's the big difference between Murren and Wynn, Murren and Baldwin. Baldwin gets it. Certainly Wynn has mastered it. Um, Murren almost... He does, not only do I think he doesn't get that, he doesn't really like that. He almost would like to wash his hands of that part of the business. And it's just uh, it, it's, it's intriguing that the biggest gaming company in the, 
in the state and the second biggest one in the world doesn't really like gambling. Yeah, it's odd. And I, I don't know Kirkmarian's personal predilections, but he seems like a gambler to me. I mean, the guy bet it all multiple times um, and pulled it off. Well, as a young man, he certainly was a gambler. I mean, that was his exposure to the business. Now, you know, he's a um, he is a much more uh, you know he, he's not out in the open a lot now. But I think you know I, I think that he certainly ha- understands the gambler's sensibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny too because in the speech that Jeff was talking about, I remember I was there too, and I believe that. Steve Wynn called Kirk Corian a risk-averse businessman and said that risk-averse businessmen don't spend a billion dollars to build a casino. They wait until they're successful, and then they spend $2 billion to acquire them. And it's kind of funny because now um, Kirk Corian is taking a bigger risk on Las Vegas at a worse time than Steve Wynn or anyone else ever has in their career. Wynn was feeling very defensive because the media had characterized his loss of mirage as somehow a – Victory for Cor- for Kerkorian over Win, and Win was conveniently leaving out the fact that Kerkorian had already built um, three of the biggest casino projects in the world, and is now opening the the fourth for the fourth time the biggest casino project ever. I mean, if you start with the International, then mm-hmm. the original MGM Grand, the second MGM Grand. In, uh, you know that's now the MGM Grand and now City Center. Um, if you take it all as a whole, um, you know. So so yeah, he has made some big purchases. But and 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 Dave is right. He did say that. Um, Wynn was feeling defensive. Um, what his his I think the thesis of that speech was. He was it was ten days after nine eleven, and he was saying, look, Vegas will bounce back, but the best places will bounce back quickest. And, you know, for Wynn, that's, you know, his belief that the best properties do the best, and that's why he builds what he thinks are the best properties. But So it was self-serving in that way as well. But, um, you know, you do have a sort of, um, you have a, a conflict of philosophies there that's evident between Wynn and Murren. Yeah, if I can make, oh. I'm curious uh, to throw this one out to you guys. Whether or not this uh, structural distortion of Mern's comments is 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 uh, really just like a revisionist version of history. Uh, they're trying to position him as the father of City Center, the the big idea man, the big dreamer, the guy who's doing all this stuff. But he really only came onto the project or came came into the the driver's seat only what was it a year and a half ago. Well, I don't think it's revisionism. I think what happened is he was the one who came up with the idea of sort of the urban, you know, dense use of uh, or intensive use of the available property um, for that parcel. And then and then they handed it off to Baldwin to execute it. So, you know, and Merton may have may have contributed the idea that they should get all these top-flight architects, and so I, I, I don't think it's revisionism. I think it sort of makes him look like he's the only one. It underplays the influence of Kerkorian, Lanny, and Baldwin, and um, maybe magnifies his influence. But he, it wasn't that he wasn't um, an influence. I think it probably, you know, and and all all companies do this. They're gonna, you know, everybody's gonna bow to the current leader, and he's the guy, and. Um, but uh, but 
you know, I, 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 so there's probably an element of revisionism, but it's not, you know, purely um, him taking credit for other people's work. It isn't too. Oh, go ahead, Dave. If I can circle back to um, Marin saying he doesn't, he didn't go to Encore or Palazzo. As someone who teaches writing, one of the first questions I ask whenever somebody says, "I'm a oh, I'm I'm a writer," you know, do you want to look at my stuff? My first question is always, "Well, what do you like to read?" And the one thing that gets that just gives me a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach, and I know I'm going to be looking at something awful, is when they say, "Oh, I don't read other people because I don't want to be influenced by anyone else." <laughs> that is the worst. You know, when I teach a writing class, I go around there, "Hey, well, who's your favorite writer? What do you like to read?" And well, I don't read anyone else. I just write. That's awful. <laughs> and to me, it's kind of struck me as it's a similar idea where, well, I don't need to see what else is going on in what I'm doing. I just want to do my own thing, which isn't really what you would expect at that level. That, yeah. That's all I'm going to say about it. It's not really what I would expect at that level. Chuck, to to touch on the revisionist question you asked a minute ago, the only aspect of that I maybe see is this emergence of Murren as like MGM designer-in-chief where now there's a lot of emphasis on his urban studies planning degree or whatever it's in and, and his love of the pocket park, which is stuff that we never heard before, at least that I don't remember hearing before. Um, so in, in one in, in, so in one dimension, I think maybe <clears throat> I've noticed that stuff bubbling up to the top a little bit, and it may just be convenient marketing for City Center, but um, it, it does seem like he's somewhat recast in that role. Sort of a win-esque, um, you know, top of the top of the tree visionary slash designer. Um, Dave, I want to talk a little bit about my stay at Vidar, but I was wondering, is there anything else on your tour that you wanted to remark on? Yeah, kind of the other thing, and I know this is going to sound vague, and I'm going to try to explain it rather than ex- telling you to experience it. The two <laughs> lobbies. <laughs> there's a there there's two kind of two main lobbies. There's, I think, a north lobby and the, or a main lobby and an alternate lobby for getting in. Um, both of them really show that this was done by Caesar Pelli or by his firm, not by anyone who's been working in the strip because they both have a lot more open space to them. And in general, I found that a lot, that's what really, to me, made the, another thing that made the property different. There was just a ton more space for the lobby than you would see even in Bellagio, which is a very nice lobby. It's got a pretty low ceiling, and when you've got tons of people in there taking pictures in front of the Chihuly stuff, it can get a little bit claustrophobic. I think this really struck me. There's a lot more volume in there than, than I've seen before, and I think that's probably another thing that people are going to say, wow, that's a big difference. So Definitely. that's pretty much my, my take. Yeah, definitely the, that main lobby, pretty soaring ceilings and a you know giant glass wall on one side. Uh, I, that I think it's a really nice space, very striking. The Harmon entrance um, is a little is a little bit meandering on one side. There's on the Harmon side. There's basically two ways in. There's the main Harmon portico chair, which basically has escalators going upstairs and then also just dumps you into the casino. But there's also a Sky Suites entrance, which is for their uh, high limit players. And that is kind of, it sort of winds and meanders back through um, some twists and turns before it gets to the secondary check-in area, which is a little bit odd. But, um, it, you know, they're still, they were still putting all the finishes on when I was in there last, and so I, I think it's going to look even different uh, when it finally gets done. Um, like I mentioned, I did stay at Vidara last weekend, and I, and I wrote about it on my blog. I'm not going to rehash the entire thing. But a couple things did strike me. One, I 
constantly reminding myself that Vidar was built as a condo hotel. So people were actually supposed to live here to some degree, even if, you know, it's not, we're not talking about full-time residents. And I think in, in that mold, there are some very strange decisions. One of the things I mentioned, and I've heard others mention it too, there's no place, if you need an aspirin, you're stuck. There's no place, you know, unlike most hotels where there's like a sundry shop at the bottom of the elevator, if you're at Vidara, you have to walk either to Aria or Bellagio to accomplish that mission, uh, which seems doubly weird for a place that is supposed to have residents. Uh, I, I just don't get that, and that's one of those things that stuck out. I had some service snafus related to my stay, but I attribute most of those just to sort of opening jitters. I'm not, not going to harsh them too bad for that stuff because opening a hotel is tough, and I assume it'll get better, but if it doesn't, then uh, that's a serious problem too. Um, I liked Vidara. It's the rooms are uh, spacious. Again, I, they're great as a hotel room. I can't imagine living in one of those spaces, but um, the uh, you know it's a very nice room, very well put together. Um, it's very conveniently located. I mean, if 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 you do like walking to either side, it's easy access to both Aria and Bellagio. I was I was actually it's actually easier I thought to walk from Vidara to Bellagio to the Strip than to try and get from Vidara up. Harmon uh, to the strip that way, which you can do, but um, its access through Bellagio is almost simpler. Uh, but in general, it was it was a nice day, and I, well, I'm going to be back there next week, so we'll get to experience it again, and uh, hopefully some of the little glitches will be uh, will be taken care of. Hunter, I thought your post uh, about your Vidara stay showed one hopeful sign that uh, they've been uh, they've been um, modeling. Maybe a little bit on Harris. Your inability to check out by your TV—that problem has plagued me at Caesars and Paris. And so, uh, maybe it's maybe they've decided that that's one way, one last way to get you down near the casino floor, um, even though there isn't one in Vidara. Um, you know, that's one of my that's one of my you know things that I always want to be able to do is check out by TV. That way, I don't have to yeah. talk to someone on the phone. Don't have to go back and stand in line, which I hate. So um, that is a problem, and hopefully they'll get that fixed. It it drove me crazy. So I tried to check out, and I used the TV, which I, ironically, when I checked in, the, the bellman was like, he was telling me about the features of the room, and one of the things he mentioned, which is, seems odd because all hotels have it, you can check out on the TV. I was like, wow, great. But <laughs> prophetically, no. You can take no. a shower in that room over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I go to try that, um, and it doesn't says an error has occurred, of course. So that was, you know, It's not the first time that's happened to me. A lot of hotels have this problem. Encore did, too. I've never been able to make it work at Encore either. But um, I call the front desk to try and do it over the phone. And after six rings, it just goes to fast busy, and that happened four times in a row, uh, which was really frustrating. So I do go downstairs and wait in line, and the the uh, clerk's response was, "Oh, that's weird. Okay, well you're all set." <laughs> and so it was not the most graceful handoff of uh, customer service right there. It was pretty annoying. Hopefully they'll fix that. It seems like a glitch that's well within their power to fix. You should have asked for your resort feedback. Well, that's, that's the other thing is that they charge a $15 resort fee like a lot of other places do. Now, in contrast, they do give you at least one thing for it, which is Internet access. The, um, the in-room Internet is included 
So instead of paying, which is usually about 15 bucks at most of these strip resorts for the internet, it's included. So if you're going to use it, maybe that's ne- that negates the uh, resort fee, the impact. But um, they also promised turndown service, which never happened. Uh, so, you know, I think they're still trying to find their sea legs a little bit. So what did you think of the design of Silk Road? Um, when I first when I first toured City Center in November, I, I actually thought Silk Road was kind of funky and cool. Um, I ate lunch there uh, last Saturday, and I am less thinking it's funky and cool, or at least less thinking it's cool. It's very funky. Um, there's a wall of glass that is pretty – it's got great views of Aria, and um, it's great to look outside. The – I don't know. I It's – it's less interesting and more just kind of odd than um, I originally thought. And my my food there was okay, um, not terrible and not great. The the chef is from Sensi at Bellagio, a restaurant that I actually really like. But um, it was just okay. I I wouldn't be rushing to go back given the experience that I had. There's kind of two things that jumped out at me because I was spending a little bit of time in there. First of all, I was standing with my back to the restaurant and looking at the lobby and saying, well, geez, I don't know why people are saying this is so retro 70s. And I turn around, I'm looking at that reflective wallpaper. I'm like, oh, God. Right. Because, <laughs> like, having lived through that era of the 70s, I remember that from being a child and how that was all the rage. Another thing that I noticed, I was staring at the ceiling in the area where you first come in, and to me it looks a lot like bamboo laminate flooring stuck to the ceiling. And you can see the the joins where one piece of laminate or whatever it is ends and the other one begins. So if we do a meetup or something, I would really like to see what the rest of you guys think of that because it just seemed really odd to me. Well, I'll have to give it a, a, a more in-depth look when I'm when I'm back there. Yeah, and maybe it's a really small thing, but it's – I don't know. It's, I'm like, wow, this looks like a laminate floor. It might – you know, it might be. Ceiling. Sometimes designers do all kinds of weird stuff and repurpose uh, – And it yeah. And it kind of seemed like the level of finish of Adara wasn't quite what it should be um, because I got a comment in my blog about the walkway from Bellagio to Vidara. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I first walked through there and you see all those exposed pipes, I'm like, oh, wow, this has to – they have to cover that up. And I walked it again and took some pictures and I might put up. And, yeah. you know, yeah, this is a really noticeable thing that is probably a couple of thousand thousand dollars worth of fix that I think for what they paid for it, it should not look like that. Yeah, it's it's funny that walkway was probably what like 150 feet. I mean, it's not very far uh, between the two buildings, but it's outdoors. It's it's lit, uh, but it's open on both sides, which other people have commented on that. You know, it just seems like for eight and a half billion, they could have afforded some walls. Um, but uh, you know, when it's super hot or super cold, it's you're exposed, which is not all that fun. Um, but uh, yeah, Vidara in general, I mean, I, I think they seem to be positioning it now sort of below Aria on its uh, on their pecking order scale. And, um, you know, they they some of the rates that they have coming out for Vidara are pretty low. I mean, just right around 100 bucks. So, you know, that's a reflection of the market. But there, there are definitely uh, some deals to be had at Vidara uh, if you want to check out City Center. Um, let's see. Uh, real quickly, um, I also got to tour the back of house at Aria, and I went up into the uh, hotel tower. Um, 
The back of house is amazing for somebody that likes that kind of stuff. It's, uh, you know, many of these places they do their their most of their back of house underneath the casino. The same here for Aria, but they actually have two levels under the casino. There's quite a lot of space down there. Um, a ton of storage and uh, other related spaces. I mean, it's it's more like a uh, an underground city than any other place I've seen. It's it's uh, very very neat if you are interested in how all that stuff works together. Um, the uh, employee dining room looked uh, looked quite good. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else notable down there. Uh, it, it was just a lot of fun to be able to go to go through there and um, and see how all that stuff is goes together. You can walk underground through the entire complex. You can get underground from Aria to Mandarin to Veer to Crystals. Uh, they're all interconnected underneath there. So um, it's it's pretty massive. Um, going up in the tower, the most notable thing I think about the room is just that this has been talked about too, but the shower tub are combined. So to get to the bathtub, you walk through the shower, um, which is kind of an interesting design that uh, when I first saw the room plans, I was wondering if it was going to be weird. I, You know, standing in it, it seemed pretty much fine, I guess, as long as you're not trying to use both at the same time. It seems like it works fine. And some people actually commented that they even prefer that because you've got extra space to dry off or whatever. But um, in general, the room seems really nice. Uh, they're they're not very big, but, um, you know, they're not they're not terribly small, about the same size as the room at Bellagio. But I'm looking forward to uh, actually staying in one and seeing what they what they feel like. It, uh, Hunter, do you have any idea when play dates are going to start? When they're going to start having family and friends staying up in those rooms? Uh, yeah, supposedly like right about now. Um, but I was told that the, they've been having generally having a lot of problems with delays and getting their uh, occupancy certificates. A lot of stuff has been very late. Like for instance, I was told the Mandarin Oriental party was last Friday. They got their TCO the day before, uh, so nothing like uh, waiting to the last minute. And it was something like two weeks late. And Ari is the same way. It's late. They're late, and so you know it's still a hard hat zone. And I don't know. I assume David still is. Did you have to work? Yeah, I was going to chime in for what it's worth. It still is, and they don't have the TCO yet. Yeah. So it's funny, just kind of where I am when they're talking about play dates. I was immediately thinking of toddlers and stuff like that. I'm like, well, who would bring the kids here to have a play date? <laughs> It's like play dates? What, what are you talking about? Yeah, they're so. scheduled for this weekend, uh, I believe. <laughs> but um, you know, they they got to get this stuff done. I mean, they still this. I, the, when I was there last weekend, they still hadn't gotten the elevator certified, so you couldn't ride in an elevator without a construction escort. And you know, it's a, that kind of stuff. It's definitely still a lot of last minute items to put together. Um, what does that do, by the way? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it, Somebody it makes can watch the, me die? <laughs> yeah, it makes the insurance people happy, I guess. I don't know. The buttons, apparently, are very hazardous. <laughs> it seems odd, I agree. Um, switching gears for a minute, I have a question, and I, I don't know if maybe Jeff has the answer, um, but it's surrounding Planet Hollywood and Harris, and this has been asked by some other people, and I haven't really heard a great explanation, and I'd be curious if anybody knows really the answer. Harris has been uh, basically stalking Planet Hollywood, uh, but the question that I keep hearing is, how can they afford to buy anything uh, over at Harris? Does any do you know, Jeff, where the, how they would? Yeah, deal? I mean, well, first, first the the reason for I mean, it's it's a na it's a neighboring property, and that's always the most valuable. 
um, property to any any landowner, um, the, the property that surrounds your own. Um, so there's a clear need or desire for it. They already own the land um, just to the east that um, on uh, across from where the old W Resort was spo- supposed to be. So they have a they have a desire for that adjacent property. Um, they've been buying Planet Hollywood um, debt on the very cheap. Um, so that puts them in a position as a um, debtor, sort of a preferred position, and that's uh, Carl Icahn's um, one of his favorite um, ways to acquire um, undervalued properties is to uh, buy um, the pro- buy the property's debt. Um, Planet Hollywood, um, which has been uh, sort of the the, the current owners, um, with Douglas Teitelbaum as Bay Harbor um, Investments. Robert Earl as the uh who uh heads uh the Planet Hollywood restaurant chain um a little bit of money from Starwood and uh those those folks benefited from in the middle part of the decade from the sort of rising tide of tourism and hotel room rates um and you know they put a, a 100 million or something like that maybe a little more than that um into rebranding the property, doing a little bit of improvement, improving it. But um, when the gravy train stopped two years ago and room rates started dropping, gambling activity stopped, you know, they they went from making a little money, being able to hand themselves back some money, to being not only unable to give themselves any money, but unable to um, meet their fairly high debt costs. And so... And and in that situation, Harris has moved in and bought the debt. Now, why? How Harris can afford it? Well, first of all, they have a they have a gigantic amount of debt. It dwarfs, you know, almost by a score, um, you know, twenty times what what Planet Hollywood's debt is. And so it's just sort of like um, it's the story of the the you know the famous story in Las Vegas of the gambler who uh, was in. Um, IRS court in district court facing an IRS charge, and he listened to the guy in front of him in court talk about how he couldn't pay the ten thousand bucks he owed, and he couldn't afford to leave his family and go to jail. And the gambler who owed owed you know hundreds of thousands of bucks stood up in court and said, "Judge, just put it on my tab." <laughs> well, in, in this case, you have you have just a little bit more debt that would be added to Harris. Harris has exceptionally well-funded backers now they're not they're not going to put their money at risk um, and buy you know and pay off all Harris debt but they have the money um, if the creditors of Planet Hollywood will agree to uh, whatever terms you know the Harris and those creditors um, the debt holders can agree they'd probably rather have Harris own it than take over the property in this horrible situation Harris can push you know people into it into the property they have the best uh, um, slot card you know system um, and loyalty program in the business um, and so it's just you know from every per every entity's perspective it's a better solution um, they're probably going to give some kind of consideration to the current owners I don't know what that is but uh you know it's, it's it's a winner all the way around and Harris yeah they're tacking a little bit of debt onto an already incredible amount of debt but Harris has been able to 
push it back and delay it and uh you know get and and get its creditors to accept you know later payouts or whatever um and so it's just a situation where you know um the pe- people who already have debt a lot of times have an easy time getting more and i think in this situation that's exactly what's going to happen well that that makes good- i think it's almost a done deal that's what i was going to ask next i mean it, the way that they're proceeding it it appears like this is basically going to happen early i think i'd be shocked if it didn't yeah, that's what it looks like. So it looks like sometime in early 2010, it will be Hair with the Planet Hollywood, Planet Loveman. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> wow, I got Chuck with that one. Um, it, uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see, you know, what, what Harris does with the place. And Planet Hollywood has done a few things. Um, I'm thinking specifically of, like, uh, really working hard on social media that other properties haven't. It will be interesting to see if Harris wants to come in and make a bunch of changes or whether they'll keep things basically going as they are. But uh, no way to know. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, the last thing I want to talk about before we go for the day is Fontainebleau. Um, since we last – I think the last time we spoke, uh, Penn National had made a bid, and since then, other people have made bids, and things have changed yet again. Surprise, surprise. Um, I, Jeff, maybe I'll go to you for this also. Do you can you give us a quick uh, summary on what's changed in the last three weeks? Well, the Miami-based federal bankruptcy court uh, had a uh, time limit on determining who the stocking horse bidder would be in a bankruptcy auction for the property. And uh, what happened was that Carl Icahn um, was willing to bid more in upfront cash than was Penn National Gaming. Penn National Gaming all along has been like, you know, the the kid unwilling to put more than their toe in the pool. You know, they just, you know, they've they're very very reticent. They're they're more scared about, you know, making a bad decision um than they are apparently eager to make a great decision. Um not to say that Fonda Blue is bad or good, but they certainly have conducted themselves, um, you know, very, you know, with 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 a lot of care. Um, Icon, um, you know, is 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 known for making very astute deals. He understands the business. He gets in and out of it. Um, you know, whether he has to hold a long time or not, he's willing to do it. Um, and he also has the kind of assets where he could be a player in many more properties should they come on the market. Um, Fontainebleau is just very unusual in that it's new. I mean, it's not even completed. It's that new. But, I mean, it's not, you know, usually the kind of properties that go on the market have been have been open for a few year, years at least, like Aladdin was. Um you know, and I think Icon. I mean, he has all kinds of options available to him now. As a, as a stocking horse bidder, when it goes to auction, um, the other, the other bidders will have to beat that bid by a certain amount, and then a certain amount of the bid would actually go to Icon as the stocking horse bidder if someone tops it. So it puts it gives him a preferred spot. He can start making some of the arrangements that he'd actually need to take over. Now, you know, the thing is, um, there's still some decisions yet to be made whether the the uh, some of the construction companies that are owed um, hundreds of millions of dollars on the project, 
whether they can convert that debt and get credit for it as part of a bid to take it over, presumably if they're allowed. And I'll be surprised if it is allowed. But if they could, then they could buy the property um, using their what they've already uh, what they're already owed, and then presumably uh, borrow money and uh, finish it and then sell it. Um, I don't think there's a lot of creditors who are going to stand in line to help them do that, and I think that the bankruptcy court will be reluctant to do that. They want to get the thing um, off their hands. So I think that it, you know it's going to come down to Icon and then whatever you know legitimate players want to bid more than a I think it was 160 or something like that million dollars. Um, Icon has to be the favorite right now, but Penn National I'm sure is continuing to evaluate. Um, and, uh, you know, the funny thing is, I mean, we have city center opening. And so, you know, people are going to get a little bit better perspective on what the future look of Las Vegas is. Certainly the macroeconomic numbers um, from the U.S. economy will uh, will also come into play. I think you're going to end up uh, with, and, and I forget exactly when the auction is, but I think it's a, not too far away. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if Icon bought it if he just mothballs it and sits it there. Um, he also could, you know, borrow the money to finish it. Certainly, you know, a Carl Icon run property is not going to finish it with the same, you know, expense that the original build at at the same expense the original builders had envisioned. You know, he's going to get the thing open and uh, you know run a much more bargain oriented property. Um, and uh, and if that happens, that's probably not a bad thing on the Strip. It might be bad for the Riviera and Sahara and Circus Circus and Tropicana. Those properties aren't going to be helped no matter what. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Definitely. I mean, you know, I think I even saw a story about uh, another bidder coming in that, that basically sounded like they were the least credible. Uh, oh, the North Las Vegas-based company that wants to be, to be a military a, a military R and R facility. You know that that ranks right up there with the Moon Casino and the <laughs> multi-stadium pool pr- property up by the Speedway. You know these kind of crackpot plans. Um, just you know. They're funny. That's what they serve. That's the purpose they serve is that we can laugh at them. But, you know, it all comes down to money, and those people don't have any. And that the the idea that the federal government is going to warn conventions about coming to Vegas but instead spend billions of dollars opening up an R&R hotel on the Strip, um, you know, ludicrous beyond uh, belief. <laughs> Well, the funny thing is there is a little bit of precedent for that. During World War II, the government basically took over all the Atlantic City hotels and ran, you know, it was called Camp Boardwalk, and they did training there, and they turned it into uh, hospitals for when the soldiers got back. But, you know, that was during, well, I guess we're at war now, too. It was a much more involved war, and really it was because there wasn't any tourism because everything was going towards a war effort, so it was very different. But that that is really funny. I think also the Beverly Hillbillies – Casino should go on the list too. Of, of <laughs> Max Bear. Money, yeah, those, those sorts of things. And it, it, in my job, I've seen a lot of these because when guys have an idea for a casino but have no money, it seems like I'm on their speed dial. Um, even though there's really nothing I can do because if I knew an angel investor who had ten billion dollars to invest, I would not be working as a you know professor at a state university. 
So it's kind of funny. They're, they're, it's really funny. There's a lot of these out there. Well, it's interesting to see the Font and Blue project kind of, you know, teeter back and forth, and eventually somebody will get it and do something with it. But <clears throat> uh, I think we're going to call it a day. There's going to be a lot of uh, coverage next week for City Center. It's going to be a lot of fun. Definitely looking forward to it. Um, so for today, I want to say thanks to everybody for being here. I'm going to go around, and you can tell people where they can track you down if, if you want to be tracked down. Uh, Dr. Dave, what about where can people find you? Diascast.com or gaming.unlv.edu. Jeff, how about you? Do you want people knocking on your door and uh, checking in with you? Well, I'm not going to give my home address, but I will say that uh, now that I've – and I, by the way, I appreciated your uh, describing me as independent. Um, that's what I'm going to use now uh, until I've uh, lined up my new gig. I'm, I'm working on some entrepreneurial-type things, and uh, I will have a uh, much better um, address for you. I hope the next time we, uh, we uh, meet by phone. But for now, I would say that anyone who wants to communicate with me by email, I'm at Simpson Las Vegas, S-I-M-P-S-O-N Las Vegas, at either yahoo.com or gmail.com. Simpson Las Vegas at yahoo or gmail.com. You got both bases covered there. I do. <laughs> nice. Uh, Chuck Monster, where can people find you? People can find me at ariaopening.com. <laughs> yep. That's me too. I'm uh, I'm Hunter Hilligus, and you can find me at ariaopening.com for the next week and a half. All right, guys, have a great weekend. 